Welcome to the AdWoke Podcast. My name is Brett Craig, and here's my story. I'm a former chief creative officer that worked at two of the biggest ad agencies on the West Coast for some of the most famous brands in the world. About two years ago, I was canceled for a five-year-old casting email that someone posted on Instagram. I used some imperfect language. It was taken out of context, and it all happened in the middle of the racial tensions of 2020. The social media mobbing that ensued in the comment section below my email posted on Instagram caused me to lose my job and to be called some rather ugly names that I never thought I'd be called. Suddenly, I went from the top of my career to no career at all. Canceled. Even friends that supported me privately wouldn't come near me publicly. I'm a Christian, and I do believe that God is working all things together for my good, but it was quite honestly one of the most devastating experiences of my life. But it was also strangely liberating. I woke up to a new world, full of uncertainty, but also full of opportunity. The opportunity to do something in short supply in the corporate world today. Tell the truth. I no longer had to be conflicted promoting ideas I don't agree with, and in these times of deceit, I counted a privilege to be able to speak honestly. That's what the AdWoke podcast is all about. I'm going to give it to you straight. We're going to occasionally laugh, and I'm going to say the things you're not allowed to say. Not because I just want to be provocative, although the truth is often provocative but because I believe the truth will set you free. All right, welcome to the AdWoke Podcast. Today we are going to talk about inclusivity. We're going to talk about the I in diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, and what it really means. Um, But before we get into that, I want to get a word from our sponsor in the Dr. Fauci Portable Worship Shrine from Neurotica Industries. So what is the Dr. Fauci Portable Worship Shrine? What isn't it is a better question because what it is is an answer to all your fears. Imagine a new Omicron variant emerges, another mistake at some lab or maybe a purposeful bioweapon, and folks start getting mild colds and flu-like symptoms. Well, it's only a matter of time till that variant gets to you, and that's even if you're double-masked, vaxxed, and boosted. But are you worried? Heck no, you're not worried, because you got your portable Dr. Fauci shrine. Now, this is an all-in-one shrine for devout worshipers of Dr. Fauci. It comes with candles, with beautiful frescoes of the high priest of health, Dr. Fauci. And get this, the Fauci worship shrine is portable. Uh Uh-huh. That's right, because you never know when you're going to brush into some cove idiot who doesn't follow the science. Gosh, these people. Now, the Fauci Portable Worship Shrine comes with a drinkable booster vaccine. Can you imagine? That's amazing. With with Fauci-shaped crackers for deep communion with Lord Fauci. Now, if you order now, this is an amazing gift they're going to throw in. You also get a special gift a CDC director, Rachel Walensky, signed magic eight ball called the Orb of Doom. That's right. You just shake it and you see if the coming months will be doomy, doomier, or doomiest. The Dr. Fauci Portable Shrine is shipped in viral-resistant plastic after being irradiated at the factory and quarantined for 30 days. So order your Dr. Fauci Worship Shrine today because worry is contagious. Quarantine that anxiety with the Dr. Fauci Worship Shrine from Neurotica Industries. All right. It's just a joke. I'm joking. I know we can't we can't laugh anymore. We've got to laugh again. We've got to remember public emails that were funny and commercials that were funny before everything had to be about social justice and everybody's grievances and offense. Uh, remember that? All right. So we have been unpacking diversity, equity and inclusion on the Adwoke podcast and my goal 
is to get beyond what they say DEI means and discuss how DEI is actually practiced in corporations. Now, last podcast, I talked about the D in DEI, uh, diversity, uh, what diversity really means. I argued that it's not about diverse perspectives, but about your external immutable characteristics. And even those only matter if, and this is a big if, if you're a progressive too. Diversity is really, I talked about in that podcast, is about everybody looking different but thinking exactly the same. You must have a progressive worldview to be considered diverse. And we talked about how you can be part of a, quote, marginalized or underrepresented group but still not be considered diverse because you're a conservative or you're a Christian or even just an old school liberal that doesn't agree with one aspect of the progressive suite of issues. And all of that will disqualify you from qualifying as quote unquote diverse. Well, today I want to talk about the I in DEI, uh, that is inclusion, and how I believe inclusion is very often being weaponized. Now, when I first heard about this notion of inclusion, just talking from my experience, uh, my reaction as a leader of a large agency at the time, I thought kind of immediately, well, if inclusion's about being welcoming to people, that's literally what I thought it was about. I'm aligned with that. You know, I'm a Christian. I, I feel it's super important to be welcoming and love people, especially people you disagree with. Of course, that doesn't mean you align with another person's worldview or every single thing they say they're about or every decision they make in their life. Certainly, nobody agrees with every decision I make or everything I stand for. But still, we should treat others with equal respect and certainly strive to give them equal opportunity. That is what I thought inclusion would be about. And I suspect that's what most people think uh, inclusion would be about. It's just about belonging and, and making people feel included. And, and of course, that's basically what the DEI folks do say inclusion's about. And they say that's why inclusion should be a core value inside of the corporation or any institution. We just want people to feel welcome and feel like they belong. That is what inclusion is about, right? Wrong. That is not how inclusion is actually practiced in the corporate world or in ad agencies today. The actual uh, definition of inclusion as it really plays out on the ground is something more like James Lindsay's definition of inclusion. And I uh, mentioned James Lindsay because he's probably the foremost critic of uh, critical race theory uh, right now uh, in in the country, if not the world. Um, he's written a couple books about it. Um, he has a podcast you should check out. It's called New Discourses, uh, and his brand new book, Race Marxism, is excellent. He was just banned from Twitter because the censors can't stand uh, how uh, poignant and uh, smart his uh, critiques are of critical race theory and of diversity, equity, inclusion. But in any case, his definition of inclusion is something like this. He threw this out on a panel one day very quickly, but I thought it was really accurate to how it actually plays out. So his definition of inclusion, James Lindsay, is making sure people who are easily offended don't get offended. According to the rules, the easily offended say you must follow. Again, uh, making sure people who are easily offended don't get offended. According to the rules, the easily offended say you must follow. That's the real definition of inclusion. And that's what I mean when I say um, inclusion is being weaponized. If all I have to say is I'm offended or I don't feel totally affirmed in order to gain control over your speech or actions, then people are going to get offended constantly. People are going to find ways to problematize around the issue of inclusion. Again, why is that? Because thanks to inclusion, getting offended gives me power or gives people power, power over others. 
And because of this, as I said, we will make the case today that inclusion of the three uh, words in diversity, equity, inclusion becomes the most easily weaponized. Inclusion is especially likely to get weaponized by someone who is in an underrepresented group. If you get offended as a white cisgendered male, I don't need to tell you this, but do not pass go. Just head straight to jail because nobody cares. And as an aside, I would routinely, just thinking back on my career as a Christian, hear people denigrate Christians right in front of me uh, and at agency life. If I had complained, and I wouldn't have, because unlike the left, I do not feel the need to control other people's opinions in order to feel emotionally safe. In any case, if I had complained, no one would care. And why is that? Well, well, first of all, a Christian is not considered a marginalized or underrepresented group. And two, because according to DEI, I'm also a possessor of that magical e-ticket known as white privilege. Therefore, life is much easier for me. Society just works for me and the doors of success are just flung open for me. And, and this is the case according to the DEI critical race theorist view. You know, as a possessor of low melanin, I, I don't even have to try because I have privilege. That's why they put me in the front of the line in hiring and corporations. Oh, wait, that's not true. White privilege is why I get to walk to the front of the line for admissions at universities. Wait, that's not true either. Okay, that, that, that's why if I wanted to work for the government, my whiteness fast tracks me right to the front of the line to get a job as a policeman or a fireman. Uh, oh, okay, that's not true either. You get the point. Despite all the hype... There is no white privilege in corporate America today or any institution today. Everybody knows it. There is, however, plenty of blatant, nasty discrimination happening against white people in corporate America. But the DEI crowd will say that's just to correct for past racial sins. It doesn't matter if you didn't commit those racial injustices. You're just unfortunately white, so you're just going to have to pay the price. You know, Equity demands it after all, and social justice demands it after all, yada, yada, yada. In any case, inclusion is what gives rise to demands for things like emotional safety and trigger warnings. Inclusion also gives rise uh, to demands for speech codes and the banning of certain words and phrases like master bedroom, for instance, which has nothing to do with slavery or plantation farming, but is now banned because someone somewhere said the term offended them and inclusion demands that no one is ever offended. Again, inclusion becomes this all-encompassing demand that one must feel completely, quote, emotionally safe at all times. If you cause me to feel any emotional distress or discomfort by my subjective determination, then you are not practicing inclusion. And you will be subject to reprisals that can take many forms, which in my case could include, include losing your job. Inclusion also opens the door to compelled speech, like preferred pronouns, for instance, which we'll discuss more deeply in a moment. All right, here is a textbook example of how inclusion works in corporate and ad agency life today. And this is a very recent post on social media from a person with they pronouns. In this post, this person, who seems nice enough and I'll assume is well-intentioned, has a profile that says, a uh, description that says they're an inclusivity expert. So I'm going right to the source. Uh, this is someone who does this for a living and, and they're offering their professional tips uh, in this post on LinkedIn on how to be inclusive to members of the LGBTQ community and trans community who are an underrepresented group, which is key. As I said earlier, factor in inclusion. Remember that a marginalized group or underrepresented group is key to this idea of inclusion. Uh, and so in any case, so this person is offering their tips on how we can uh, be inclusive of LGBTQ and trans people. In any case, here's what this person had to say on LinkedIn about preferred pronouns and why you need to use them to be inclusive and, and a bunch of other tips on how to make uh, 
people feel included uh, in the trans and LGBT community. And remember, this person uh, says they're an inclusivity expert. First thing they say in this post is pronouns save lives. Okay, so right off the bat, the case is made that if you don't agree with this person's recommendation of using pronouns and every other recommendation they're about to give you, you are putting people's lives in jeopardy. And this is, by the way, how the left thinks about everything. Have you noticed that? If you don't do and and believe exactly as they say, people will die. This is the constant argument about everything, right? Global warming, people will die. Masks, don't wear them, people will die. Uh, Certain elixirs that everyone's supposed to put in their body or they'll lose their job. You name it. If you don't do it, people will die. You then want to kill people if you don't agree with the left. That's how the argument always goes, and that's how the argument is going here. So believe what I believe about these things called pronouns, says the progressive hive mind. Uh, Agree with me or lives will be put in jeopardy. But this person goes on to say, this is a fact. Pronouns affirm who we are affirm who we are. See, it's about affirmation. And using pronouns makes queer and trans people, especially teens, more likely to stay alive in the face of bullying and so many other obstacles. Pronouns are important, but they can't be the only time you're thinking about trans inclusion and gender bias. Okay, so did you catch that? Pronouns, besides saving lives, are also a matter of affirmation for this person, okay? Uh, And you must be thinking about trans inclusion, they go on to say, all the time. It has to be constantly on your mind. This must become your new job, uh, your second job at work, according to this inclusivity expert. They goes on. You need to be thinking, The post this person says in their post, you need to be thinking about this from the first interaction you have with your team, so uh, to your last and everything in between. So you need to be thinking about these pronouns and how to be accommodating and welcoming and um, inclusive from the first interaction you have with your team to your last and everything in between, they say. Okay, so trans inclusion and pronouns are obviously very important to this person. And thanks to the edicts of inclusivity, in order for uh, they to feel comfortable, you must change your speech and adopt this person's worldview and speech codes. And otherwise, again, you are presumably against saving lives. Okay, so they goes on to give examples of how you should change your speech to accommodate them and make them feel included. Here we go. Here are some examples of how you can do that. All right, so in hiring, this is the first uh, suggestion of how to uh, make people feel included in the trans and LGBTQ community. Change your applicant tracking systems to pull from the preferred name field, not the legal name field. Train your recruiters so that they know that people of all genders sound differently and that a name doesn't necessarily correspond with how someone should look or sound. Okay, so you're supposed to change your applicant tracking systems to pull from the preferred name field, not the legal name field. So what that means uh, in English for everybody, if it's not clear, uh, so Mr. and Miss and Mrs. are out and Zim and Zir are in, they, them, uh, the pronouns, preferred pronouns as they call it, that identify your uh, gender uh, identity. Um, those are in and Miss, Mr. Miss and Mrs. is out and the entire corporation must adopt this policy or I don't need to keep saying it, but if not, the corporation doesn't care about saving lives is the suggestion. Okay, so onboarding, how should you do that? According to this person, uh, here's what they have to say. Ensure that LGBTQ, trans and gender bias is covered in your onboarding trainings. Review any dress codes or other guidelines that might be gendered. If there are any on-site gatherings, check to make sure they are gender-neutral restrooms. So if there are any on-site gatherings, check to make sure there are gender-neutral restrooms. 
Nothing is worse than showing up on your first day and already feeling like you don't belong. Okay, so there can be no dress codes that mention that sort of address the traditional understanding of gender, uh, meaning boy and girl. And there can be the, the there can be no uh, male and female bathrooms. They have to be gender neutral. Otherwise, nothing is worse than showing up on your first day and already feeling like you don't belong, according to this person. So what you start to see here is that not only is your speech being compelled and censored, uh, you also uh, you also notice that uh, any reference to the traditional understanding of gender, which is shared by almost all cultures for all of time across the entire world throughout all of time, that observation of gender, the gender binary, meaning boy and girl, uh, invoking that is now considered offensive. But we're not done. Uh, this person continues. Listen to this. Team meetings. Normalize introducing yourself with pronouns. Intervene when someone gets misgendered. Okay. It might be one thing if a trans person wanted to use preferred pronouns and even requested that you use their preferred pronouns. But no, no, no. You too are required to announce your preferred pronouns. Do you see that? Because they want to normalize. It says normalize introducing yourself with pronouns. So even the person that no one's, there's no confusion, it's very clear who they are, you now have to use these pronouns. And you also must become an activist and ally. Uh, you have to get pushy with this set of demands. If you hear somebody misgendered or somebody makes a mistake, you need to intervene as a good leader. Uh, so this person goes on. Think about the way that any icebreakers, and this is where it really gets, just goes off the cliff. Think about the way that any icebreakers might be gendered, i.e. if you ask the team to bring in baby pictures. Yes, I just said that. If you ask the team to bring in baby pictures, your trans team members might have difficulty with this. So again, this person is saying, here we go again, that all reference to gender has been understood, that has been understood uh, for thousands of years, meaning boy and girl must be banned in your team uh, meetings. You cannot reference that. The bathrooms have to be gender neutral. All pictures also, though, of babies must be banished from the meeting. Can't have babies as well uh, because it could cause difficulty for some trans team members. Uh, now, I would assume... Uh, if your office is like mine was, or any office I've ever been in, when someone's pregnant, what do you do? Hey, is it a boy or a girl? That's a very common question. That question would be considered offensive by this person. Okay, this is insane. You can't bring baby pictures and you can't ask somebody if they are having a boy or a girl because that would be a gendered reference. And as we know, all references to the gender binary are uninclusive and cause difficulty for people. All right, the person goes on with a list of more helpful pointers, uh, but that are actually demands. Listen to this one. External meetings. Will your teams be faced with transphobia or sexism or homophobia from a client? So, and I think what they're saying here is if, if they were to meet a client who doesn't agree with everything we've just been through, maybe a client that pulls out baby pictures, for instance, that would be uh, uh, would equate to meeting with transphobia or sexism or homophobia. They go on. Is it safe for them to travel, your employees, to travel where you're asking them to? And this is, again, about external meetings. How are you preparing so your team feels like they can be their best? Okay. So these are demands. This is not about, um, these are not requests. They're demands. Everyone, let's go through them, must adopt preferred pronouns or people's lives will be put in danger. All references to gender, unless they are non-binary, are banned. 
No pictures of babies should be allowed in the room because it could cause difficulty for trans team members, according to this inclusivity expert. And you must take steps to make sure all your clients abide by all of these rules above or it'll be unsafe to be around them for your employees. And when it comes to travel, I'm assuming this person's concern about travel safety is about emotional safety again. And this person is referring to the possibility, I would think, of having to fly to a red state where the backwards inhabitants still believe there are two genders. Uh, And this is obviously emotionally dangerous, of course. And this is not uncommon, right? I'm not using this crazy example. This is just, this person's an exclusive, exclusivity expert. Uh, It's posting this on LinkedIn. This is standard stuff. This is going on everywhere. This is the standard for inclusivity. In order for someone to feel like they belong, they need to censor you, your speech, compel your speech, ban baby photos. In this person's case, lest boy or girl be invoked, causing this person to experience difficulty. Uh, Or you'll presumably cause your employees to experience difficulty if they're from the trans community, let's say. And you have to celebrate uh, them constantly, affirm them constantly. Okay, that, that's, that's the rules. And so this is not inclusion. This is a form of bullying under the guise of inclusion. And I'm not saying that this person that posted this on LinkedIn is aware of that. I'm not saying they're a bad person. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying what is clear is there seems to be no consideration that this person's list of demands is unreasonable or their demands may violate someone else's conscience. No consideration that some people in the company may have religious convictions that are different from this person's uh, convictions. And it, it would be wrong to compel someone else to violate their conscience, right? There's no concern that this is likely creating an extremely uninclusive and hostile environment for others. Does this person even consider that their inclusivity rules they're imposing on everyone else will lead to new forms of discrimination against anyone who dissents? Does that even occur to this person? I think you know the answer. I I don't think it's even occurred to this person that, that these rules are unwelcoming and hostile. Now, once upon a time, there was a principle in America, and it was a good principle. It was live and let live. It's a very uh, American idea that worked. It it truly allowed for true diversity, right? We can live side by side, but we don't have to agree on everything. Uh, And the idea of live and let live is really you just, you do you, I'll do me. Uh, But if you try to tell me how I have to be and live, we're going to have a problem. We're going to begin to clash. And it makes things really hard uh, in society to even to, to proceed, right, if we go down that road. Just as a quick aside on this point, I bring up my Christian faith a lot because it's central to my life. And as a Christian, obviously I'm convicted that my worldview is correct or I wouldn't be a Christian, just as a Muslim believes their worldview is correct or they wouldn't be a Muslim. Uh, and, and just as a person with uh, the LGBTQ community um, believes uh, their worldview is correct. I mean, we, we, we all believe our worldview is correct or we wouldn't believe it. But that said, as a Christian, the, the idea for us is to persuade hearts and minds, okay? Now, I understand that principle has been violated and ignored in the past and people have had bad experiences with Christians. I get it because people are people and no matter what they call themselves, you're going to run into people that um, don't represent uh Christianity well. Uh, in fact, there was a guy named Judas uh, in the inner circle of 12 with Jesus, so Jesus could tell you something about that, uh, certainly. So, but 
so I get it. And we can look back on the Crusades. I always think of that as a, you know, it's a glaring example where we're not persuading hearts and minds as Christians. We're using the sword. But that is actually a violation of, of the text in the Bible. The Christian principle of persuading hearts and minds is what the text actually teaches. And the idea here is, is that I cannot force you to follow Christ. I wish you would follow Christ, but I have to persuade your heart and mind. And if you don't want to follow Jesus, then so be it. I can't compel you, nor would it be worth anything if I did coerce you to follow Jesus Christ because it would be done under duress and that would not be real. The point is persuading people, and if they disagree, choosing to live and let live is a far better idea than do as I say, agree with me or else. If your point of view is better, I might be persuaded. You'll win my heart rather than bully me into your belief system. But sadly, thanks to inclusion, we've lost this principle in the corporate world and in America at large because inclusion demands, and this is very important, inclusion demands that you publicly affirm every last thing about me or else. And when I say affirm, I don't mean treating a person with dignity and respect. We should do that. I mean affirm publicly everything and celebrate everything about someone else, every idea and everything that they do and believe. That is untenable and that is a recipe for corporate uh, cohesion and societal breakdown. It will not work. Now, there was an interesting example of how inclusion can be weaponized and how it truly does demand that you affirm and celebrate others uh, publicly. And I just want to go through this real quick. This is in the national news about a month and a half ago. The Tampa Bay Rays, uh, they're a major league baseball team, obviously um, recently experienced firsthand how inclusion can be weaponized and to shame others. So here's what happened. During Pride Month, it turns out a few players refused to wear the pride symbol on the Tampa Bay Rays team on their uniforms for Pride Night at the Tampa Bay Rays Stadium. And long story short, they cited their Christian faith as the reason for not putting the pride flag on their uniforms. Well, of course, that did not sit well with some other people, including an MLB player, another MLB player who happened to be gay. Now, he was very upset that these players would not put the pride flag on their uniforms. From his perspective, this, this was wrong, and this is what he had to say about that. This isn't about religion. Okay, so he gets to decide whether it's about religion or not, but okay. This is not about religion. This is about being a good teammate. When guys go out of their way to make a point of opposing Pride Night, they're sending a clear message that people like me just aren't welcome in baseball. It's a reminder that even on the one night where we get to be proud of ourselves at the ballpark, we are still second-class citizens. It's as simple as that. All right, so this MLB player who happened to be gay, who was frustrated with these Tampa Bay uh, Ray players that wouldn't put the pride flag on their uniform for Pride Night, uh, is he right that it was uninclusive not for those men not to wear the pride flag and cite their Christian uh, beliefs as the reason for not wearing the pride flag on their uniform? Is he right? I, I think he's wrong. And I want to do a little thought experiment as to why, just to kind of, I just to help maybe a person who uh, is, uh, agrees with that statement that that player made. Just let's do a little thought experiment and turn this thing around, put the shoe on the other foot for a second. So imagine, let's imagine Christianity's influence in America continues to wane, as every poll says that it is. Uh, it does. You know, very few people or less people than ever are affiliating with, um, Christianity, more and more people don't go to a church and more and more people just don't affiliate, affiliate with religion at all. And so they just don't, don't uh, tell pollsters that they have any beliefs. They're more secular at this point. 
So imagine five years into the future, Christianity, believe it or not, becomes an, uh, an underrepresented group and just another minority group in America. Uh, it could happen. Uh, so let's imagine that that happens. And by uh, the same logic, the logic of having Pride Night in the name of inclusion, perhaps someone believes it would be nice uh, at this later date when this happens five years from now, let's just say, to have a Christian night for the Tampa Bay Rays. And we're going to celebrate that marginalized group known as Christians. And I do think it's worth pointing this out. Christians do see Christ as their identity. So if somebody were to say, well, this isn't a good sort of thought experiment because the parallel isn't, um, isn't, isn't really there because LGBTQ folks and trans folks, this is their identity. Well, Christians see Christ as their identity. So it, I do think the parallel stands. So imagine on Christian night at the Tampa Bay Rays uh, in 2027, I'm just making this up, Every uniform will be required to have a cross on it, and this will make those marginalized Bible-believing Christians that are made fun of routinely in culture feel included and like they belong. That's the idea of Christian night at the Tampa Bay Rays. So you have to put a cross on your uniform, uh, and you are an atheist, or you are Muslim. What's that? You don't want to put a cross on your uniform? What are you, Christophobic? Are you not a good teammate? What's wrong? Are you, are you full of hate? Do you hate Christians? Because you, why won't you put your cross on your uniform? See how this works? It's wrong to compel people by bullying, shaming, or censoring them to align to your worldview at the threat of humiliation or, again, shaming or some other punitive action. We can't force people to wear symbols that clash with their convictions, be they religious or even non-religious convictions. Instead, Instead, we should persuade hearts and minds, right? And that's the point. Inclusivity, as is practiced today, it's not about persuading hearts and minds. It's about intimidating. It's about bullying. It's about coercing people in the name of accommodating the most easily offended among us. It's about the most easily offended people gaining control over other people's speech and actions by claiming they're offended or even microaggressed. Think about that. You've micro-offended me. I think that is such... A telling thing, microaggression. Therefore, I get to pay, play the inclusivity card in order to gain control over you, to punish you and manipulate you. I should make a point too here. This is not about the LGBTQ community or the trans community, uh, this inclusivity issue, although that's obviously the examples I'm giving tonight. This can be done with race. Uh, this can be done with uh, with uh, uh, all kinds of gender issues, obviously, that do kind of spill into the LGBTQ uh, issues, obviously, but this can be done with race as well. Uh, and that is how inclusivity is playing out in the corporate world and in ad agencies and institutions that have adopted DEI. We're far past any notion of welcoming people. We are now excluding and shaming people if they don't adopt the very progressive worldview uh, that the left says you have to have on every last issue, including on radical gender theory. And it's all being done under the guise of wanting people to belong. That's what they're going to say. But that's not how it's playing out. Of course, all of these new inclusivity rules become invisible tripwires. And I think Douglas Murray wrote so beautifully about this in Madness of Crowds. I really recommend that book, Douglas Murray, Madness of Crowds. Uh, what Murray says in that book is that essentially what the DEI crowd and uh, the, the progressive uh, sort of hive mind is creating this impossible minefield that you have to negotiate at work, lest you offend somebody. And you somehow must manage to avoid all of these landmines of offense in addition to your day job, which means inclusion becomes a second job. 
and it makes human interactions impossible in the workplace, right? Because we've created this impossible demand that people feel emotionally, quote unquote, safe at all times. And this is a subjective feeling, emotional safety, that's going to vacillate and change from person to person. So what we've done is we've created a minefield of problematized language and compelled behavior that no one could possibly get right. And the rules are always changing. Words that we're fine to use yesterday become tripwires today. You know, one quick quick thought as I was putting this podcast together, I was thinking about is, what if DEI, just think about this for a moment, is simply just sand being thrown in the gears of the machine? What do I mean by that? Why do I say sand being thrown in the gears of the machine? What I mean is when something is this poisonous, we have to at least consider it's intentional. This is not to say that the average person who believes in DEI doesn't sincerely believe these ideas. I do think there are, are sincere people that believe in this, of course. What I'm saying is, is that this DEI ideology, diversity, equity, and inclusion, has swept into our country all at once in every major corporation, again, everywhere, all at once. And what I'm saying is the academics, the PhDs, the critical race theory gurus like Ibram X. Kendi and Robin DiAngelo, uh, these, these people know exactly what they're doing. I'm saying that the people injecting this thinking into our corporate veins and our body politic in America have a specific neo-Marxist worldview, and they have simply packaged it up for corporate consumption so that American, so that the American machine just implodes. It just stops working. It grinds to a stop. So that human relations are made impossible. So that we turn on each other. Because that's exactly what seems to be happening in this country as we embrace identity politics and DEI. So... What's the final result of the weaponization of inclusion? And I think that's pretty simple. It's exclusion. We're creating hostile work environments in which we exclude people. Because what do people do when they're afraid to speak? Because they live in constant fear of violating some new complicated language code. How does one navigate racial tripwires, privilege tripwires, gender identity tripwires that are always moving and changing? Well, one thing any sane person will do who wants to keep their job is to just basically stop speaking and engaging. You just stop talking to your coworkers. You just retreat. You avoid your fellow workers for fear of crossing or stepping on one of those tripwires, for fear of triggering someone and then blowing your career up. We're creating an environment where people are afraid to be who they are. And I think it's so ironic as well. Oh, bring your full self to work. Uh, some people better be careful about bringing them their full selves to work. Because a person of, of faith or simply a person who questions some part of this new progressive orthodoxy, um, that person is living in fear that by simply existing, they will be interpreted as being threatening by someone who literally could have them banished from polite society. Now, there's this great Twilight Zone episode, and I, I love it. It's um, Wish You Into the Cornfield. I don't know if that's the title of it, but it's about a seven-year-old boy who is essentially all-powerful. He has, um, he can think and wish anything to happen that he wants. And because he's seven years old, he's petulant and kind of a little brat. Uh, and he lives in this small town where the entire town lives in total fear of this impulsive seven-year-old who has godlike powers. One of his powers is this idea that he can wish you into the cornfield. Well, what is wishing you into the cornfield? Wishing you into the cornfield is wiping you out of existence. <clears throat> Which is ba- basically... What can happen with inclusivity? You can be banished from polite society. Well, in this Twilight Zone episode with this petulant seven-year-old who can do anything he wants by wishing anybody 
you can do anything to anybody. What happens is all the adults kowtow and tiptoe and affirm this little boy, no matter how much of a bully he is or a brat that he is. They have to even mind their thoughts because the boy can even see their thoughts. And so what happens is, is that everybody in the town, including the boy's family, are just a second from being wished into the cornfield if they cross this moody seven-year-old. And so what everybody naturally does is just bow before this little tyrant seven-year-old, affirming every little thing he does, having to celebrate every little thing he does, no matter how wrong Let's take a listen at how that plays out. Take a listen. Howdy, Anthony. Mighty good to see you today. Mighty good. I made a golf with three heads. See him? I'll make him dead now. I'm tired of playing with him. Be dead. Gopher, you be dead. Well, and it's real fine that you've done that. That's, that's real fine, Anthony. Real good things, and it's good that you've done that. Oh, it's real sure you did. You had a real good time, and it's good that you have a good time. It's real good. He shouldn't have thought those bad thoughts. That's why I made him go on fire. Oh, it was wonderful, Anthony. Wasn't it, everyone? Well, finally, some adults tire of being bullied. They get tired of being shamed and censored and watching this little seven-year-old abuse adults. So finally, some adults snap. And when they snap, it's not good because they are promptly wished into the cornfield by the boy. And it's a great episode. And I think Rod Serling, the writer and creator of Twilight Zone, was clearly talking about what happens when you give someone unfettered power over others. Inevitably, because we're people and we're fallen and we're imperfect, we abuse power. And this is how inclusivity is being practiced. This is how it's being weaponized. If there was once good intentions behind it, it's gone. It's now, I demand that you appease me by affirming me and agreeing with me at all times. And don't you dare say or do anything that I say makes me feel discomfort or else. And you better do a real good job of acting like you like doing what I tell you or prepare to be unpersoned, prepare to be wished into the cornfield. And let's not pretend it's not happening. Don't think your quote allyship will save you. The inclusivity police have banished the likes of progressives like J.K. Rowling and lesbian tennis player Martina Navratilova, who are now TERFs, trans exclusionary radicals. They've been shamed. They've been unpersoned for being uninclusive. Why are they uninclusive? Because they believe there's such a thing as biological women. So you're taking two very progressive human beings, J.K. Rowling and Martina Navratilova, and they have been unpersoned. They are TERFs, trans-exclusionary radicals, because they believe in biological women. This is how this is working. This is how inclusivity is working. But welcoming people should not come at the cost of having to be bullied censored and shamed out of our personal convictions, be they religious or political or just conscience convictions. We need to get back to the lost art of agreeing to disagree respectfully. We need to be able to live and let live. We need to still be able to love or at least aspire to love people, even if we don't see the world exactly as they do. And I want to say, I think that is why the command to love our enemies from Jesus is so radical and so countercultural. Love your enemies. Are you kidding me? By the way, I want to point out here too, Jesus didn't say you had to agree with your enemies. He didn't even pretend like they aren't your enemies. Nope, you don't have to agree with them and they are indeed your enemies, but he said love them. And that means even when you perceive that someone is against you, despite people disliking you as Christians or even hating you, we must love those that oppose us. And I, I got to be honest about this. I struggle with this command. That is radical inclusion and tolerance. Love your enemies. 
to love those that hate us. And, and if I can somehow manage to live that out better, and I'm telling you, that is a, I'm admitting it, it's, that's a very tough command to follow. But if I could manage to live that out better, I will have at least the chance to win my enemy's heart and mind. And short of that, at the very least, surely I can live and let live with those who differ with me. I could work alongside them. I could be a neighbor to them and a friend. That's real inclusivity, right? When we actually disagree or even oppose each other's stances, but we still can welcome the, each other to the table. It's my prayer that we embrace that form of tolerance and inclusivity once again in America. Wrapping up, uh, I, I hope this podcast gives a voice to some of your concerns about how DEI is being practiced in your ad agency and corporations. And I hope that maybe it gives you a little comfort that you're, you're not alone. Someone else recognizes that there's something rotten in the DEI soup. Uh, there is something wrong. That indeed inclusion is being weaponized and that together, little by little, maybe more people will have the courage to point out this truth in a humble and loving way because this is not working. I want to thank you for joining the AdWoke Podcast. I'm dedicated to exposing this kind of corporate wokery. This DEI ideology is fake. It's plastic. It's a pseudo-religion, and it's hurting people. So I got to speak up about it. I just want to encourage you to don't violate your conscience on these things. Do what you know is right. It doesn't matter how many people say this is okay. It's not okay. Uh, we're going to see you on the next AdWoke podcast, hopefully, when we cover equity, the E in DEI. And remember, you're not crazy. They are. <laughs>